but I can, but I know I would have loved it when I was, yeah, even five years ago in my right girl boss, babe days, (laughs) I would have loved that. Hello and welcome to Meet Me in the Middle, the podcast where we talk about looking for the middle ground in this sometimes problematic wellness world. Mm-hmm. My name is Annika Buckle. I am in the middle of an existential crisis. <laughs> My name is Lee Freiling and I am a master's degree student studying counseling psychology. And my name is Jenny Omani and I am a registered nurse and business owner. So, um, are you ladies ready? I'm so excited. Today. I am. I am. 10 pages of notes in <laughs> Annika world equals some good content. So well, I'm here for I it. We'll see. We'll see. It's just very dense. There's Love a lot dense. of detail. I'm here for um, it. Today, we're going to talk about landmark education. <gasps> yes. <laughs> oh, this is the best news of my whole life. I literally cannot. I'm bated breath. I can't wait. I am so excited because I don't even know what this is, but I think I know kind of what it is. And I think it's like a little culty. And I know that Lululemon highly, like highly encourages it. And they're such a problematic company at times, but like, I also have family that works there and they, they're actually really happy working there. So, you know, I'm just really excited for this nuanced little ditty. True story. I was at Lululemon. I worked at Lululemon for six years, which is why, how I was introduced to landmark in the first place. So I'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute, but yeah, tell me what you know about, um, it's now called landmark worldwide, formerly known as landmark education. Most people just call it landmark. Isn't it like a personal development boot camp? Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. Like that's all I know. It, isn't it like kind of akin to like a la Tony Robbins? You get there at like the crack of dawn, you leave in basically the middle of the night, you're freezing all day long. You're supposed to like <laughs> show your most vulnerable side to like complete strangers. And then you leave basically wearing a different skin suit because you're a whole new human, something like oh that. Oh my God. Really? Great summary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. Our episode is done. Thanks so much for tuning in. Yeah. I mean, I've known, I've known several people who, how shall I phrase this? I've known several people who have done landmark who also went on to fall prey to a whole bunch of other pseudo self-helpy spiritually conspiracy theory, kind of all in that, that genre. And a lot of them like swear by landmark did the extra levels like try to get their friends to go like tried to get me to go and i was like um that's $2500 i don't think i want to do that today thank you i mean you lost me at tony robbins that guy just <laughs> oh just low just you wait you guys uh, you're going to love this yeah okay so i'm angry already annika <laughs> Oh, 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 sister, buckle up. You are not even, you don't even know what's coming. Okay, so. Annika, does the term buckle up have extra meaning for you? We I make just... a lot of jokes about it in my house. So I'm not going to lie. We also, <laughs> we also like to throw around buckle down, which is another Ooh. really popular one. <laughs> buckle down. That could be. Okay, I'm going to think about that now. Okay, go. I'm yeah. so curious. <laughs> okay, so um, I had my first experience with Landmark in July 2005, and I know that to be true because I looked it up on my resume last week. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, I was working for Lululemon at the time, 
I mean, honestly, I, we could probably do a whole episode on Lululemon. <laughs> I should. I was in there for a total of uh, about six years over two separate stints at various head office and in-store positions. Uh, but that's not what we're going to talk about today. Were so you there just... when they had see-through pants? Uh, yep. <gasps> <gasps> okay. Okay. Keep going. This is definitely anyway. a conversation for another day. <laughs> Uh, in 2005, I was working in a role that was hybrid part in-store and part in head office in inventory management out of the store in Kitsilano. And from when I first started working there, people, you know, coworkers, bosses, people in head office would talk a lot about how Landmark was something the company would gift to every employee who'd been there for a year. I'd only been there for a few months, but because I was in such a unique role, I got kind of the, the tap within my first six mm, months because there were a few staff going to the summer session. Mm-hmm. And because obviously I'm awesome and they knew that I was awesome. So they wanted to this get girl me on the corporate is, culture real quick. <laughs> totally. This girl is meant for a meteoric rise. We got to get her indoctrinated <laughs> right quick. So I honestly knew almost nothing about it at the time. I had basically just been told it was a seminar on personal responsibility, but that it was all day, literally 9 a.m. to 10 p.m., Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and then again Tuesday night from 7 p.m. to 10 p.m. Red flags, sure, Mm -hmm. but I also got paid for a full weekend of work to attend for free, and no one I worked with who had a single negative thing to say about it. Now, if I was the illustrious researcher you know today, I absolutely done would have done more digging but uh I was 23 (laughs) and I was excited about getting paid for a weekend to not have to work um but before I dive in any deeper I'll just add a little bit more context of my own around this and bias um because I really believe that we all have bias and the more we can be upfront about them um the better off we can set the stage in my opinion the second somebody says that there's no bias turn around and run screaming the other way. So Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. my experience was actually really positive. Absolutely. There are parts that were problematic, but for me personally, as a 23 year old in the process of making some of the worst, albeit like pretty fun choices of my life, it was a really helpful tool. I wasn't in a place in my life where I would have been able to afford or had any interest in therapy, nor was I in a place to do kind of any sort of solo self-improvement or development work. I also want to be careful to caution too much, like it worked for me. So therefore it's not problematic Mm -hmm. because I think you're going to start to see the red flags flapping in the wind as soon as we start talking. Mm -hmm. But as a relatively privileged young white lady coming from a middle-class family who pretty much loved me and very little childhood trauma, many of the problematic parts didn't register for me at the time because I was in the box of my own. I'm the most important person in the world, as I think a lot of us are in our early twenties. Um, and at the time I absolutely gained benefit from it. And that doesn't mean I'm not going to leave a scathing criticism of its most problematic parts, (laughs) but let's dive into what exactly this technology is. Cause of course it's called the technology, right? (laughs) It's it's called technology, a technology, right? You know, this is, I don't know. That's like very Scientology. Uh, That's very Nexium vibes straight out the gate. Right. Very Nexium vibes. Unless, Unless it's like an app. Like, is it actually technology? Tell us us what the technology is, because I feel like there's nothing that has to do with technology involved in the definition you're going to (laughs) give. 
so Landmark Worldwide, known as Landmark Education prior to 2013, or simply Landmark, which is what I'm going to call it today for ease, um, is a company that offers personal development programs, the most well-known of which is their intro-level program called the Landmark Forum. The company was founded in 1991 by the former employees of a man named Werner Erhard. Well, actually, that's not his name, but we'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> Using technology, aka intellectual property, purchased mm. from him. While I was researching this episode, I totally went down the rabbit hole on this guy who I knew absolutely nothing about before this. So if it's okay, I'm just going to take us on a little detour because I find this story about him not totally relevant to where we're going today, but super fascinating. Yeah, do it. I love it. Okay. So Werner Hans Erhard, born John Paul Rosenberg, more on his name change in a second, was born in Pennsylvania in 1935. He grew up in a Christian religious household and after graduating high school, worked in various automobile dealerships, predominantly in sales. In 1953, he married a woman he went to high school with and they had four kids. Pretty standard fare so far. But then in 1960, he took a trip to Indianapolis with another woman, changed his name to Warner Earhart after reading Esquire magazines about West German economics minister Ludwig Erhard and physicist Werner Heisenberg, Moved to St. Louis with this new woman and just never got in touch with his wife or kids again. Oh, okay. That's normal and reasonable thing to do. And then went on to produce like a personal develop, like, okay. Just wait. (laughs) Well, well, I know I want to be like him. Right. We know stuff (laughs) like this totally happens all the time. So just hang in there. It's about to get weirder. Patricia, his still wife, and their four children initially ended up relying on welfare and help from her family and friends because it's 1960 and she has four kids. Right. Until after five years with no contact, she divorces him for desertion and remarries. Good job, Patricia. Good Good job, Patricia. Patricia. In 1972, a year after creating Earhart Seminars Training, or EST, as it became uh, more well-known, the precursor to Landmark, Erhard contacts his first wife and family, arranges to provide support and college educations for their children, and repays Patricia's parents for their financial support. Between 1973 and 1975, all the members of his extended family took the EST training, and Patricia and his younger siblings took jobs in the EST organization. Okay. What? Okay. Right. So let's go back to the 60s for a minute. He's selling correspondence courses door to door, then works as a training manager for people selling books door to door. He's also doing a ton of his own reading and exploration around the human potential movement, reading books by Maxwell Maltz, a heavy, heavy influencer for Tony Robbins, Mm -hmm. and reading books like Think and Grow Rich and attending Mm -hmm. the Dale Carnegie course, famous for his book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Right. I was wondering when he was going to show up in this. Is any of this sounding familiar? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Just going to (laughs) sigh. So over the 1960s and early 70s, he's also exploring Amway trainings, science. Oh, God. Oh, God. Okay. Yeah, no, sorry. Just keep going. That part will become extra important in just a second. And eventually realizes what he wants to do is create his own course. This is the birth of the precursor of the forum. He also sets up a foundation that tackles things like world hunger, which is backed by the Dalai Lama, youth at risk, and a theoretical physics conference attended by the likes of Stephen Hawking. So Hmm. legit stuff. UNESCO Hmm. backs his world hunger organization. Like it's not, it's not weird fly by night stuff. It's like, it's like a legitimate. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, give credit where credit's due. Good. Right. This is the thing, right? (laughs) That's the thing we know about the middle ground is like, okay. Yeah. 
we find it in the middle of two complex and often opposing ideas. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, feeding children is important. So yeah, right. good. Yep. Don't worry though. Things are about to get weird again. <clears throat> good. So Earhart became the object of popular fascination and criticism, um, got absolutely skewered by the media who really love to kind of vilify, I think when they don't understand, um, all of what's happening in the background, but also a little more on that in a second. Um, in 1991, Earhart vanished amid reports of tax fraud, which ah. proved false and won him $200,000 from the IRS. Oh, and allegations of incest, which were later recanted. So there was a piece on 60 Minutes in 1991, which has since been pulled because it was proven to not be true, which is very interesting. Hmm. Also a lengthy article in a San Jose newspaper dealing, detailing his sexual abuse of his daughters, who then not only retracted, but took legal action against both 60 Minutes and the newspaper suing for $2 million. Celeste, Hmm. one of his daughters, accused the newspaper of having defrauded her and invaded her privacy, saying that she had exaggerated the information after being promised a $2 million book deal and appear and her appearance on 60 minutes was strictly to get publicity for the book oh right gross okay right also in 1991 irs spokespeople were widely quoted alleging that quote Earhart owed millions of dollars in back taxes that he was transferring assets out of the country and that the agency was suing him and branded him a tax cheat in April, the IRS was reported to have placed a lien of $6.7 million on his personal property. In a later suit, Earhart stated that he had never refused to pay taxes that were lawfully due. And in September 1996, he won the suit. The IRS paid him $200,000 in damages. And while admitting that the re- media reports quoting the IRS had been false, the IRS took no further action to have the media correct those statements. Interesting. Mm. In a final mm. twist, remember how one of his influences in the 60s and 70s was Scientology? A private investigator quoted in the Los Angeles Times stated that by October 1989, Scientology had collected five filing cabinets worth of material about Earhart, um, who they believed stole their ideas and repackaged them as EST, Hmm. and that Scientology was heavily involved in the process of organizing a media blitz aimed at discrediting him. I mean, even if they did, they sure, I mean, the IRS is like, it's not like they found some independent, like, company to go after him. That's the IRS. (laughs) Super weird. Well, I I guess if you have friends in high places, you got friends in high places, right? Yeah. And then Scientology, like, that's a pretty classic Scientology move, right? Like, all like Scientology is all about identifying, I forget what their actual name is, but like people's against Scientology. Right. And then having people investigate them and collect, you know, evidence and this, that, and the other thing. But, um, I mean, even the fact that it's, I'm sorry, all this is smacking up to me at this point is like pure Nexium vibes. I like went super deep on the Nexium, all that yeah. shit, like last year. And you know, the fact mm. that it's called EST, yeah. You know, and what was whatever there's executive something something e something 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 it's like so similar and nexium was just repackaged scientology also totally right? right so we basically have like five things we believe as people and like you're just gonna repackage one of them if you're coming up with something new right 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 <laughs> yeah right, right, totally right. So, okay, well, that but, was that's kind of this is a very that's there's a, lot a roller coaster of, sidebar to what we're actually talking about today. Yeah, I love it. I'm into it. <laughs> Anytime we get like a Scientology conspiracy, I just feel like I end up like going deep down the absolutely debunking rabbit hole. 
But also when you're looking at like the topic and this is where it came from, like that's right. a lot of valuable context, right? Right. Totally. Yeah. Okay. Anything that has a root in Scientology. <laughs> oh, I know. Right. That's, yeah. that's, that's or a Tony, issue. Or Tony Robbins uh, influences. Yeah. Right. Back to Landmark in 1991, some of Earhart's former employees purchased rights to and content of what was at the time called the forum. This was an existing course with EST that they modified. And then over the years has been further modified slightly, but basically the bones were there and the methods remain similar, if not identical. The forum is the most well-known and popular of the landmark courses, but they absolutely offer others, some structured over weekly sessions over a period of three months or four months, others following the same outline as the forum over one really intense weekend. But because the forum is what landmark is most famous for, landmark often is actually kind of shorthand for the forum when a lot of people talk about it. When someone says they're doing landmark, it's usually the intro program of the forum. So that's going to be the bulk of kind of what I talk about today. Also, it's all very similar in its approach and technique and technology. I'm using finger quotes when I say that. Um, so this is a relevant context, regardless of what piece you're talking about. Um, I should know before we go on, it's considered large group awareness training, training, mm-hmm. large group awareness training. Mm-hmm. Seminars that focus on increasing self-awareness and bringing transformations to people's personal lives. Lee, I don't know how much you know about this kind of with like the world you're in right now with your masters, but you probably know better than me. Um, yeah. I mean, I, what kind I of know, like links yeah. to the human potential movement. Yeah. What I know about this is that, I mean, the trick, the trick about this is that from a business perspective, it's a very, very effective way to impact a lot of people in a short period of time and make a whole lot of money. Um, Big criticisms of this type of event are that oftentimes people are asked to disclose like trauma or terrible things that have happened to them or listen to other people's traumas and things that have listened to them. And these are not people who are therapists who are not trained to either hear that kind of stuff or support someone who's going through that kind of disclosure. Also, usually the person who's leading the seminar is also not trained in that. Um, and it ends up being, uh, really problematic for a lot of obvious reasons. There's often a shit ton of love bombing, Mm -hmm. um, which also is very, it's very manipulative. It's a very high, highly problematic, but also really effective strategy to get people to feel like, oh my gosh, I went to this thing and I left and I just felt like I found my people. They saw me, I'm seen, I feel recognized. I feel valued, right? Well, like you spent 24 hours with someone, there's no way (laughs) that like someone genuinely knows you and love bombing is also something that is kind of like like it kind of like catches a little bit. Right. Mm -hmm. So you hear someone being like, Oh my gosh, I love you so much. And then you hear someone else being like, Oh my gosh, I love you so much. And it's like, "Mm, do you love them so much? Or are you just like really caught up with kind of like the vibe, so to speak of like, what's going on here. It's a, it's a tricky thing. Cause on the one hand there, it can be a very effective way for people to access sometimes what is very helpful information, but it's often conflated with really problematic practices. 
that's what and I we'll just mic drop at that because that's basically what we're going to talk about for the <laughs> next <laughs> no, i'm just kidding okay, but yeah. yeah i mean this this really gets at the root of a lot of what we're going to talk about today so um let's kind of let's just dive in uh other than you know a large group awareness training that takes an entire weekend out of your life like how does this work what exactly goes on there so first there is a deeply intense focus on being coachable which means actively participating, not taking notes, and not missing any parts of the program. This means bathroom breaks are scheduled and actively discouraged outside of scheduled times. And there's a verbal agreement at the beginning not to take any Advil or over-the-counter drugs for the course of the weekend. Is that the sound of red flags flapping in the wind? I think it is. Can I take an Advil? Right. Please ignore your bodily (laughs) needs. Yeah, like you can't pee. Yeah, and if you are struggling because maybe... You have a headache from not drinking water because you can't pee. Yeah. Or you have a headache because you're like being bombed with people's trauma. Exactly. If you're being bombed with all kinds of super hyper emotional content, which uh, can very much affect a stress response, AKA a headache, you can't take care of that. Right. Wow. Okay. Did they give any rationale for that? Because you, uh, the point of the course is that you are focused and that you are present and that you are completely there. Yeah. But if you have a headache, you're not focused or present or completely there. You're thinking about how much your head hurts. And here we are. How does Advil? Uh, well, I mean, like, can we tell me how about, an like, Advil makes me not focus? Can we also just talk about like not being able to go to the bathroom? Like, like you know, when I can't hell? focus when I'm, when I have to pee, when yeah. I have to pee Big time. Right. Okay. And I will say again, like in my own personal experience, like, can you get up and go to the bathroom if you have to? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's and, not like a bodyguard. Telling right. You it's to not like, down. sorry, you're going to sit in your chair and pee your pants now. Like, but, yeah, but it like is you have often like, the I mean, is of everyone like who's exactly. Exactly. And sometimes yeah, the, yeah. the leader will even comment on it. Right. Oh so then it's God. like, not only is everybody looking at you, but now everybody's paying attention to you. Right. So you just cool. had to pee so badly that it right. was or you humiliation right. or literally soil yourself. Okay. Right. Okay. Um, such a supportive environment. <laughs> so at each break and every night you have homework, mostly in connecting with people in your life and your past, the landmark phone call is like a real thing. And I'll talk more about that in a minute, but day one, when you walk in, it's a very kind of sterile corporate cubicle looking large room. And I like did quite a bit of like Googling around on the internet. And that generally seems to be everybody's experience from Florida to Seattle to (laughs) everywhere. Um, You're greeted with a poster that says the following. So I'm going to put this in the chat and I want one of you to read this because I'll read it. I'll read it. I like reading things (laughs) in the forum. You will bring forth the presence of a new realm of possibility for yourself and your life. I should note that new realm of possibility is capitalized inside this new realm of possibility. The constraints of the past imposes on your view of life disappear. The new view of life emerges new possibilities for being call you powerfully into being new openings for action, call you powerfully into action and the experience of being alive transforms. That is so creepy. Absolute word salad (laughs) and possibility are capitalized. Yeah. The rest of it's just like your usual crap, but like that's, those are Scientology vibes. They've like, it's a title new possibilities for being call you powerfully into being. (laughs) So 
absolute word salad, like yeah. words yeah. that don't go together and don't mean anything. And what's really interesting is the response. Um, and I remember, I don't, rem- I remember this conversation happening. I can't quote directly, but I have seen it elsewhere in other people's recounting of their experiences. The response to this is basically like, yeah, it's written in really poor English. Do you know why? Because the usual confines of language would not allow transformation for you to happen this weekend. But I'm just confused by the incomplete sentences. I'm like stuck on the like lack of grammar. What's going to happen is not to be hemmed in by the bounds of languages. You understand it. Okay, Mm. Jenny. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So once the rules are set and you get going, you're introduced to kind of the first big concept or distinction stories. This by no means is a new concept. And in fact, almost nothing for most people who have done kind of any work in this world is really new, considered new. Again, that shouldn't be surprising given it's basically a grab bag of like an assortment of other ideas that were happening around this time. Um, But because it, so very little of what's covered inside the forum would be considered new to most people, but because it's simplified instead of, instead of spending three days talking about the concept, it's explained really simply. And then the focus is, so what does that look like for you in your life to put this into practice? This, I think is part of the reason that so many people walk away feeling like this isn't, this wasn't just like a nice thing I learned. And then it's in one ear out the other, you really workshop what this means for you for better or for worse, as we're going to talk about more in a minute. Um, but stories are the idea that we create narratives to explain our life experiences. And then we forget with that. We're the ones that created those interpretations. And we live as if that story is the reality. They become the lens through which we see, hear, and feel anything that confirms the story we latch onto as confirming evidence, anything that doesn't, we dismiss this pattern of seeing what we want to see and hearing what we want to hear is called having blind spots. One of the phrases that stuck with me to this day is this idea of all always already listening. We're constantly filtering for a confirmation bias, even before hearing something out. And I think that's something that we just do as humans all the time. That's who we are. I think we've seen that a lot in mm-hmm. the media echo chambers people have created over the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. That's totally true. Right. Yeah. That's Again, it's like human nature. It's like, yeah. Yep. Uh-huh. Yeah. We create stories. Yeah. It's like that's self-preservation. Yeah. <laughs> totally. It's also like how we understand what has happened to us. Right. Uh-huh. And that sort of concept right there negates the fact that how you understand what happened to you is what hap- makes, that's what gives it value. That's what gives it meaning. So like, you know, if I have the experience of being a little girl who gets fed regularly all the time and well food, I get the experience of being well cared for. But if I have an experience where I have to like feed myself or it's not, you know, there's not a lot of food in the cupboard. Like I get the, I have the experience of being hungry and feeling like no one's taking care of me. That's not a story. That's like how I experienced my life. That was your life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and so then the response to that would be like, all that happened was that you weren't fed. The story that you created was that that means you are X, Y, Z. So then this is basically what the bulk of the next two days are spent at this point. The the facilitator asks people to come up to the front of the room and to start sharing much like all group programs, of course, the power of seeing yourself and someone else's story um, mm-hmm. is a really whole lot real. of worth conversations, right? Yeah. Exactly. So like a beautiful example, and this is kind of just what you were touching on Lee is like, somebody comes up to the front and says their dad didn't love them growing up because they never came to their baseball games. Right. What they work out with the facilitator is the fact is their dad never came to the baseball game. And the story is they made it mean he didn't love them. Yeah. Whereas dad could have been working or whatever. Yeah. A million other 
potential. Yeah, there's so many answers yeah. to that. Right. Yeah. So this is kind of the bulk of what happens in day one. So day two, after working through all of this in one-on-one groups, this is where things get really fun. Brace yourself, Lee. This is exactly what you're talking about. You're constantly paired up with who is beside you and you're asked to never sit beside the same person twice. Yes, absolutely a red flag for somebody who has trauma to have to share your deepest darks with total strangers or to listen to other people's when you have no skills to deal with them whatsoever. Yeah, totally. And then being asked to come up to the front of the group and share. This along is like with my a lot nightmare. of like, <laughs> like, it sounds like a series of icebreaker games. I like hate even listening to this. <laughs> so day two, you start to learn about what happens when you run your stories on others. Let's call it a racket, sweetheart. I always just really love this because anytime I hear racket, I just think like twenties gangsters and I just can't. So I'm going to put this in the chat too. Jenny, I'll get you to read this one. This is how a racket is defined. Okay. A racket is a fixed way of being and a persistent complaint. Word salad. (laughs) Well, and also just like, it just, that just really minimizes. That's like, it's very dismissive, right? Right. You're referring to somebody's like problem as a persistent complaint. Right. Right. Or, That's, or trauma as a consistent yeah, complaint. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. And a fixed way. Like that sounds like it's a choice, right? It's very, yes. Yeah. You chose it and you're continuing it and it's not really your traumatic experience. It's just a little nagging thing. That's like bugging you. Well, the end that's terrible you've decided, right? So like, tell me, <laughs> yeah, where yeah, yeah. tell me where you've heard this before. So like a racket is a particular type of story. A story is interpreted from event. So like my dad never came to my baseball games event. Therefore he didn't love me story. Therefore I am unlovable racket. The father is to blame for the inability to form close connections. Ultimately, this is where it gets real funly. You're going to love this. The victim chooses the story and is running the racket on their dad and themselves. It's all his fault. Yes, he didn't attend the ball games, but ultimately it's that person's choice to decide what that means. Okay. So here's the thing about this. There is some ways that having a conversation around your dad didn't come to the baseball game. You have made it mean that he didn't love you. Not in those words can be helpful, right? There are times where people are ascribing meaning to something that is not helpful for them in their life. And also probably isn't true. It could be looked at in a different way. The, I have had therapy where that's been suggested to me and being able to look at something from another perspective absolutely can be helpful and can let people sort of release, um, meaning that's not necessarily true, um, to something that allows them to feel better or yeah, even like, if it's true or not, it's freeing to be able to say, yeah. I can look at this differently and, and right. choose totally. differently for myself. If yeah, you totally. don't respond to my text message right away, I could be like, Oh, Lee's mad at me. Or I could be like, right. Lee's really busy. Yeah. Cause Lee is really busy. <laughs> Cause yeah. yeah. Right. So in some ways that part is really helpful. The challenge is how this is being communicated mm-hmm. because this setup is very cold. The problem with this is that there's no compassion in how this is being communicated. There's no softness. There's no gentleness. It's being ascribed a name and like, 
when we're ascribing something a name, sometimes that can feel very dismissive or condescending. Um, and while maybe the basic premise can be helpful, it's also really painting everyone's life experience with a broad brush, right? So like, sure, we're talking about dads and baseball and like, okay, fine. Like at the end of the day, is that necessarily super consequential? I mean, maybe for that person it might be, but that's different from I was raped or I was abandoned or my partner abused me or, or whatever. And so if you're painting like everyone's kind of negative life experience that have been somewhat formative in some way with this same broad, non-compassionate, little bit harsh, judgy, you know, sort of brush that's time efficient. And again, this is the problem with large group stuff is that it's, it's paint, it's giving a one size fits all experience or solution, quote unquote, to people's problems. And that's not how psychology works. Well, and I think this was for me as like, you know, this helped me like mend some bridges with my mom for things that happened when I was younger. And like, then I could just go along my merry way and it was fine. But again, when you're putting somebody who's dealt with the things that you were talking about Lee in that same bucket as like me, who was like, you know, had to call my dad and have like a clearing conversation. Those are totally, totally different things. And because there is no quote unquote aftercare, because these are not trained psychologists because the, you know, uh, accountant sitting beside you is not like equipped to deal with, you know, your darkest traumas from childhood. All that we're left with at the end is like, okay, go on your merry way and good luck. Right. So this is again, where you can get benefit in certain situations and it doesn't actually mean that it's okay. I can totally see why Scientology was upset because this is such a Scientology thing to like pick a name, to rename something. They have like a whole vocabulary. Right. Yeah. I just think it's like, I don't think it's necessary to, um, compartmentalize and pocket a huge broad thing into one name. It just is so minimizing and gross and creepy and like, yeah, I feel like I would have been like, okay, I'm out now. 38 year old me would like, right, right. wouldn't make it past the poorly, the grammatically incorrect sign. <laughs> I feel like you can't form a sentence. You're not teaching me anything. I'm out of here. <laughs> but yeah, 23 year old me would have been like, oh, that's so clever to just right. with a single name. So interesting. Right. Yeah. Um, and actually kind of Jenny along the same lines, like around the languaging thing, um, Within the Lululemon culture, this languaging was really, really pervasive in internal meetings. People talk about stories and rackets all the time. Like it's mm-hmm. a very common, again, like this is a thing that communities do, right? Create a language that creates a little bit of insularity. Um, again, I haven't worked there at Lululemon since 2012, but I can tell you in 2005 and then again in 2008 and forward, it was literally everywhere. Mm-hmm. The other thing of note is that this has created a corporate culture of intense personal responsibility. Um, In some ways, you know, this is not unlike other intense corporate cultures with jargon um, to have managers and supervisors 
really aware of this stuff means that there was a lot more accountability built in than a lot of other companies that I work for. But where it started to sour me was when working within a department that had direct financial reporting to the board, as you can imagine, for a company that literally printed in Ryan dog whistles on their bags, the cult of personal responsibility meant that I was explicitly told, if you don't want to work these hours in this job, then it's up to you to change your life so you're happy. When we were being asked to constantly update and change numbers and models that required working, not exaggerating 90 hours work weeks. Okay. Like a surgeon, but with similar pay, I'm sure. (laughs) As long as a surgeon (laughs) makes $30,000 a year, you bet. Yeah. Sounds about right. (laughs) Yikes. Right. But I digress. This is, this is not a, an episode about that, but now that we understand rackets, you dive into this, there's a payoff idea. Again, this is not a new concept, but instead of spending the rest of day two talking about it as a concept, you're asked to actually work through where this is showing up in your life. We get to be right or make them wrong. We are the innocent victims. The purpose of a racket is always to avoid responsibility. Of course, then the next step is to figure out the way out of the racket. And that is to see the cost. The cost is our joy, the depth of our relationships, the quotes, aliveness of being. (laughs) And this is where the landmark phone call comes in. At the end of day two, if you haven't already done it, and I will tell you, it has strongly encouraged it every step of the way for the previous two days. Your homework is to call someone you have been running a racket on, either someone close to your life or someone you are estranged from and redefine what's possible in your relationship. The call could be because you appreciate them or to ask for their forgiveness. You can imagine how very wrong this could go. Yeah. Yeah. You can also imagine that for somebody with a bunch of trauma, being asked to call and forgive someone who has deeply hurt or abused them is not really necessarily the answer for this long-term trauma. No, no, that's you can read stories of really problematic exchanges where people are coached beyond breaking, where they are told that, you know, their trauma is just their perception and that forgiveness will allow them to live the lives they truly want and desire. I mean, again, there's, there's a lot of goodness concept of forgiveness, right? Like we forgive for ourselves. It has nothing to do with the other person, you know, being able to get to that place is, is, is helpful, but you don't have to call and tell them you forgive them. Do you know what I mean? Like you can come to, you can, for, if somebody did something horrible to you, unimaginable, you can get to a place where you, you recognize that carrying, you know, through appropriate therapy, that forgiving them doesn't have to be a, a dialogue that can just be you coming to a place where you forgive them for what happened for, you know, whatever, but you don't have to talk to them about it. No, you don't. And also like setting this up as an expectation after a day yeah. of, you know, it's like they just this, want to crank it out on their timeline. Well, that's exactly what's happening. That's exactly and, what they're doing. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. I have all kinds of gross feelings about that. Like, all kinds of gross feelings, especially like, when you have not trained professionals, no, like pushing this concept. No. Yeah. Right. Tony so, Robbins says this too, doesn't he? I okay. feel like I, he does this as well. Yeah. I, I feel like this is kind of a very common piece of that, like large group awareness training. And this is where at the beginning where you guys read the creating new possibilities for being, this is where that starts to shape. If you can see the stories you've created and the rackets you're running, then you can start to see that your perception is only one possible interpretation of the quote unquote thing that happened. Right. 
the idea is these are all just stories. So if it's just a story, then you can create any story you want. All of day three is spent on this. And again, even after 15 years, I can tell you the biggest part of this that sticks in my mind, because we literally spent like 12 hours working through it with various people up at the mic was really that it was about choice. And this for me was such a piece of like how this translated into corporate culture from, you know, where I was coming from at the time, the leader would ask if you would want chocolate ice cream or vanilla ice cream, you would choose, let's say chocolate. And then he'd ask why you chose it. The correct answer was because you chose it. That's it. Everything else was a story. Well, because I like it. Well, because I don't like vanilla. These are all just stories. You choose chocolate because you choose chocolate. The end. That's it. Okay. Well, that's wrong. What if I don't like vanilla? (laughs) Then I would choose chocolate (laughs) if I don't like vanilla. But that's just a story. All that happened is you chose chocolate. The reasons for choosing chocolate are just a story. Oh my God. Okay. Okay. So this also, what this also doing is this also programming that people's reasons are irrelevant. Totally. Matters is action, but your reason or rationale or thinking or consideration or research or whatever it happens to be literally doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is action. The only thing that matters is doing. The only thing that matters is being productive capital. It was capitalism all along. It was capitalism all (laughs) along. So the other huge part of day three, um, was that it was a really, really hard sell for one of two things, either a, the next course or B to recruit the people that you love. This -hmm. becomes almost a frenzy myself included, but, um, especially my husband. And I'll talk about this in a minute when I did the advanced course, it just becomes incredibly hugely problematic. And again, you know, all of us having had experience in, um, you know, connecting in with the good and the bad of the direct sales community, this hard sell piece starts to become really, um, just as can be really problematic. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, so, so I have a question about this. So is there any kind of like financial remuneration or reward for recruiting your people? Or it's just that you're just going to make them have a better life. Right. And so this is one of the things, again, as you're like, you know, if you're Googling around online, people are like, it's a, it's a pyramid scheme. It's just like an MLM. Well, no, it's not because no, the only people making money off it are Landmark. Now hmm. I will say Landmark is um, employee owned. So if you're an employee of Landmark, it is to your advantage, I guess, to recruit the people that you love. But the other piece that's really problematic um, and I'll just t- touch on it now. I was going to wrap it up at the end. We're pretty close anyways, but, um, a huge part of the organization is built on volunteers, like hours and at hundreds, thousands of hours of, of people work is done for free by people who are seeking betterment. Well, they're seeking connection into this community. I mean, Tony Robbins does the same thing. I was just going to say, it sounds like he, did he come, I guess he came after Landmark. Yeah. They basically read all the same books and then like created what, their own yeah. things. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But right. I mean, from what I know about Tony Robbins, which is relatively limited, um, this is exactly his little structure. And then they walk on co- hot coals, I think. Isn't there like a fire situation for Tony well, Robbins? Depends on which one you go to. <laughs> <laughs> you got to pay extra for the hot coal. Walking, oh, right? mind, mind over matter. <laughs> it's a limiting belief that it will burn your feet. Like. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Okay. So at the end of Sunday, you know, you're kind of left with this full court press. You're asked to bring, you know, the people who you love to your Tuesday night graduation. So first of all, it's obviously not a graduation. (laughs) 
no. it's obviously a sales pitch. Um, so that bait and switch doesn't feel really super authentic, ironic, given that that's like the entire focus of the forum is like authenticity. <laughs> Second, when you get there with your guests, they actually separate out graduates and guests. <laughs> so oh. you come with your friend and then they like take you and put you in a separate room and put your friend over here. Whoa. Ostensibly, it's because as somebody who's completed the forum, you have, you know, to finish up the course. And then these other people are just like being sold what the course is. Right. So not That's so gross, not doesn't feel great for people. Right. Like keeping in mind, I haven't ever actually been to one of these nights. I, ha- I don't know what goes on on the other side of the curtain because both times I attended were a sales pitch and I got a giant sales pitch (laughs) happened, but, um, when I went to the second course, which is called landmark advanced, I, uh, brought my husband then boyfriend at the time. Um, and it was really interesting because he was like vibing with it. He's like, you know what? A lot of this makes a lot of sense. And I could see how this would be really beneficial for me as a leader, especially to better understand people and have better relationships. And then like, he just like every wall went up when he got separated and was like, they were, you know, he felt like they were really preying on people, right? Like, as he says, and I was just talking about it with him yesterday, like preying on the weak. This is a persistent complaint you read again and again, people with deep trauma, people who need trained therapists, all that we've been talking about today, people whose issues aren't simply like nuggeted down to like, just take accountability, people, not enough financial place to lay how, lay down $735. That's the cost of it today. If you wanted to take it today, even though there was messaging that resonated with him, he couldn't get over all of those problematic pieces. So good for him. There you have it. Did you say that it cost 2,500 when you did it? And now it's $750. No, it's, it, it, I think it was 600. No, oh, no. Okay. I, I said that it was like 2,500. Oh, okay. okay. I, I remember I like, looking oh, at it a couple of years ago. Rates. No, somebody el- no, somebody else told me to do it. And I remember looking it up and being like, you okay. get like a package deal if you sign up straight away for landmark right. advanced and then the self-expression sure. leadership program, which is like the next thing. Right. And again, like you get $200 off if you sign up on a Tuesday night that you've come to a session with your friend on. Right. So there you have it. That's landmark. That's so Gosh. gross. <laughs> so much for listening to meet me in the middle. We really appreciate your support. And if you could do us a big favor and subscribe and share this podcast, it would mean the world to us.